0: And now for the show Reflecting on Classic Radio Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Lamar.
1: You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your carlness went right out the window. What's with this carlness? It's not even a, a real
0: word. It's a conjunction, a preposition, it's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with NIS attached to it. Bob, <laughs> listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to, and come in my dressing room before the show. You'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel
2: I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine Well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes
3: Really? Yeah From Hollywood, it's time now for Honey Dollar Leave the gun Take the cannoli
4: Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting
1: Hello everyone, I'm Carl Amari and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Van Heflin stars in a tale well-calculated to keep you in suspense. Going back to 1947, but first, it's TV Jeopardy! Lisa Wolf trobeck will play audio clips from popular TV shows. I'll try to name the show while you play along at home, right, Lisa? That's right,
5: Carlin and in this edition, I think it's our favorite decade of television, which is... 70s, the 70s. Right. I mean, the best shows were on in the 1970s, and we are going to celebrate some of them right now.
1: Yeah, but I don't have my ding. I don't have my. sound I don't want to know what that is. I don't have my sound effects. <laughs> well,
5: I'm going to do it for you I, until we figure it ding, out. You're going to say ding ding, or I mm. am. Yes, I am. Until right. we get it Lisa figured out, human, I will be your sound effect. Human
1: sound effect machine. Okay.
5: Okay, but you won't need any. Mm. It's all going to be ding ding. Oh, we're just really? Going to you know. Take a, so, a walk down yesteryear all right. Here's the first television show
4: Once upon a time There were three little girls Who went to
1: the police academy They weren't so little No
5: they weren't
1: You know who I wanted to be growing up You wanted to and be Bosley I sure you did very hazardous definitely wanted to be Bosley I don't Bosley. blame you but I took them away from all life, Yes he did And now they work for me that's Charlie's oh, Angels. Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. Oh, I, I got, got it. Some, Mike's got some dings in there. There All we right. go. Woo. So
5: that aired on ABC from 76 to 81 and originally starred Who Were the Women okay, in the so Original Kate,
1: Cast. Kate Jackson. Right. There was... Uh, uh, um. Farrah Fawcett. Right. And uh, Jacqueline Smith.
5: Exactly. And Uh John Forsyth providing the the voice of the boss. He was Charlie. He was Charlie. Yeah. And who didn't want to be Charlie? Well, I'd rather
1: be Bosley because Bosley got to hang out with (laughs) them. That's true. He was always on the case, going wherever, traveling with them and everything. I think just
5: working with them in any capacity would have been appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, that was one popular show in the 70s. Yes, it was. And here is another one. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Hi Bob, me Howard
4: Howard, what a pleasant surprise Hey, you did a great job setting the table Now Emily said it before she went to work She has a special dinner plan Ah, great
1: What are we having? Company Company I love company That's yeah. the kind of Bob dull. Newhart show It
5: is I was a huge fan ding ding ding, ding 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 Of the Bob Newhart show Yeah Aired on CBS from 72 to 78 So that was six seasons Of course Bob Newhart And his wife Emily Which was Suzanne Plaget. Yeah And I just thought she was Something else You didn't yeah. love her? You know I
1: was not a big fan of this show oh, The Bob whoa. Newhart show I wasn't I, I was, was. like eh, It all right
5: I, I was a huge fan. And you know, I, I had so her. many
1: other channels to choose from, like yeah, four other you channels. Like,
5: I was going to say just a few others: two, five,
1: seven, um, nine. You know,
5: eleven, I'm thirty-two. To think.
1: They were. I th- I'm trying to think. Were they on CBS? I think he was. It was CBS. Yeah, yes. Bob Newhart's CBS. And, you know,
5: I I think it was just the cast of characters that did it for me. The whole, yeah. You know, we had uh, Carol, yes. uh, Marshall, who was Marshall Wallace, and we had the, the orthodontist uh, Jerry Robinson. He was I great. Just I like liked the, the whole cast of characters. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was a big I was a big fan. Yeah. Still am. Mm-hmm. All right, here's your next 70 show. Probably on my top five favorites.
2: Uh has the job been filled? Yeah. Oh. But there is another job. Oh? I figured I'd hire a
3: man for
5: it.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about it.
5: Well, good. Lord.
3: How old are you?
5: Thirty.
1: <laughs>
3: no hedging. No, how old do I look? Uh,
5: why hedge? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How old
1: do I look? <laughs> That's the. That is the Mary Tyler Moore show. That is exactly ding, ding, right. Ding at Asner there. Oh
5: wow, I know. Um, they were at a fictional local station. Do you remember the name of station? Ah, uh, no. It was WJM in Minneapolis. WJM.
1: WJM hmm. with mm-hmm. Ann Asner. And Ted Knight. Gavin McCloud, Ted Knight, Gosh. Georgia Engel. What so a cast. Now, that what show, a show I really liked a lot.
5: I, I mean, that was way up there. Yeah. Of course, with the Dick Van Dyke show, which, of course, was Mary Tyler Moore as well. And Dick yeah. Van Dyke. Wow. What a show. And, you know, this seriously was a groundbreaking show to portray yeah. a woman. Right. A she was the lead. She was the lead on and it. And she was not married. She was not dependent she on anyone. She was a um, professional woman. A rarity in the seventies. Yeah. I think.
1: Well, she broke so much ground, yeah. you know. All right, cool. Ding ding
5: ding. Ding. All right, here's your final show. You love this show.
3: Wait till you hear what happened to me on a
5: subway ticket. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful.
1: Oh my god. Right? Oh, oh. Greatest oh. show of all time. I know. What's wonderful? Listen to this.
5: Whatever happened. Whatever what happened? happened.
3: How do you know what happened is wonderful unless I tell you what happened? <laughs> Why
1: couldn't
2: you wait? <laughs> I don't know, Archie. What happened?
5: What happened?
0: Found a twenty-dollar bill. Oh! oh he won the
5: lottery right there. there. Yeah. So all this right. aired, this was all in, all in the family, family. of right. course. Ding, 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 ding! Aired on CBS from seventy-one to seventy-nine, and um, you know it was produced as a continuation series of Archie Bunkers Place. What a show! Oh my gosh! Talk about groundbreaking! I got them all.
1: I got them all in the family. It wasn't meant to trick you, just Uh enjoy it. Great job, Lisa. (laughs) All right, when we come back, Van Heflin stars in Suspense. Stick around. More Hollywood 360
0: after these important messages.
1: And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Me's Meals is back, Lisa. Oh, my gosh. I love Me's Meals, folks. If you haven't tried Me's Meals, you need to go to their website, meesmeals.com Look at all the great food they have for you. Each and every week, they change all of the food, all kinds of incredible things that are sent to your home. You cook it in like 20 minutes. It's on your table. It tastes delicious. And first-time people that try it, right? First-timers get 50% off by using promo code CARL. At checkout.
5: Right. We were just uh, looking at the website, checking out oh, the menu, figuring yeah. out what we would most appreciate oh, this yeah. week for dinner.
1: I already uh, know what I want. Oh, I know what I I'm want. I'm getting that Asian barbecue chicken.
5: Yes. I'm oh, going to get the, so good. the tofu and sweet potato. Sure you are. <laughs> with the
1: rice. <laughs> oh, my God. Mike's getting the steak, I'm sure. Sure. But, I'll but take it, that. Anyway, check out Me's Meals, folks. Me'sMeals.com. And if you're a first-timer, 50% off. By using promo code CARL at checkout. We love Me's Meals here at Hollywood 360. We also love Suspense. Oh, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. It was on the air a long, long time. 20-something years. Almost 1,000 broadcasts. And all the great stars appeared on Suspense. Including Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart, Humphrey Bogart, Henry Fonda, Orson Welles. On this episode, Van Heflin. He stars in an episode called Three Blind Mice from January 30th, 1947, sponsored by your favorite drink, Lisa, Roma Wines. Yeah, she's got her Roma Wines right there. She uh, takes about 30 or 40 sips an hour. (laughs)
5: At least, at least. (laughs) Every other. All right,
1: here's part one now of Suspense. Yes, Roma Wines taste better because only Roma
0: selects from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, present... Suspense!
3: Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Van Heflin in Three Blind Mice, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear.
0: Suspense! radio's outstanding theater of thrills is presented for your enjoyment by roma wines that's r-o-m-a roma wines those better tasting california wines enjoyed by more americans than any other wine for friendly entertaining for delightful dining yes right now a glassful would be very pleasant as roma wines bring you van heflin in a remarkable tale of suspense, suspense.
4: Lockwood, Bentley, and Walsh Publishing. It still said it on the big brass nameplate. Going down. Oh, good evening, Mr. Lockwood. Good evening. Sure, the elevator operators were nice to me. Most of the office boys remembered to knock on my door before they came in. And even some of the stenographers still spoke to me. But everybody else above the rank of junior story reader knew it was just a question of time before that big brass nameplate in the lobby came down and another one went up in its place. Bentley and Walsh publishing No More Lockwood. If ever a man hated his partners, I did. Main force, Well, I went out of the building and across the street to the Savoy for dinner. Even the head waiter must have heard the rumor. He gave me the dime-sized table over in the corner that's generally reserved for out-of-town ribbon clerks. That's all right, Bob. There'll be another day. I'd gotten to coffee and dessert when I saw Helen Conover. Well, that just about summed it up. There were two things that I wanted in this world, to get my hands back on that corporation and Helen Conover. Well, she saw me, and I waved to her, and she waved back and started over to my table. She was head of our promotion department. She was smart and ambitious, and she could have personally modeled for any pinup art that you ever saw, but she was reserving anything along that line for my partner, Dick Walsh. Okay, sister, there'll be another day.
5: Hello, Arthur.
2: Dining alone?
4: Yes, yeah, it's a habit. But I could break it under the right conditions. Oh,
2: but you're all finished. That's
4: all right, down. Just a big book publisher, got nothing to do.
2: Well, if it's not against office regulations to have dinner with the boss.
4: Regulations? Well, they never bothered you, now, did they?
2: Now, Arthur, let's keep this clean. Does madame, wish to order? Yes, the, the steak dinner, please. No soup and no potatoes. Very good, madame.
4: Working kind of late, aren't you?
2: Not working. Dick wanted me to see him off on the train.
4: Train? Where's he going? Chicago. What for?
2: Business, I suppose. Didn't he tell you? <laughs>
4: You know, they never tell me anything anymore.
2: Well, it wasn't anything very important, I guess.
4: Well, I'd know even less if it had been. Maybe you can tell me about Sam. About Sam? Ah, uh, Did he get his report from the doctor?
2: Oh, well, yes. He did, as a matter of fact. Yeah, how was it? I'm afraid it's pretty bad. How bad? Well, it's his heart, all right. They don't give him much more time. Oh? Uh-huh. Six months at the most.
4: Well, that means they'll have to work fast. Or I will. What? Wouldn't you say so?
2: Arthur, I don't understand you. I've I've just told you that one of your partners has only six months to live, and you don't even seem to care. Now,
4: look, let's be grown up about it, at least. Sam Bentley and Dick Walsh have been trying to ease me out of the firm for the last year. Now Sam's gonna kick off. Why should I care?
2: You really hate him, don't you? Me, I don't hate anybody.
4: I just hope he kicks off tonight instead of waiting six months and the Dick Walsh's train runs into the Hudson River, that's all. I don't hate anybody. I just wish they were dead.
2: Oh, Arthur, how can you? What's
4: the matter with that? I wish my partners were out of the way, and you wish... Well, I know what you wish, too, only I'm honest about it, and you're not.
2: This isn't a very pleasant conversation.
4: There's always a better one. For instance, what are you doing tonight?
2: (laughs) I'm going home and get a good night's sleep for a change. Oh,
4: uh, by the way, uh, how long is Dick going to be away? About a week. You'll be kind of lonely, won't you?
2: I don't see why I should.
4: Well, that's what I was thinking. You know, I've always had a sort of a yen for you, Helen.
2: Why, Mr. Lockwood, why don't people tell me these things?
4: Oh, people don't have to tell people like you those things.
2: Now that you mention it, I do seem to have noticed a sort of a leer ever so often.
4: Oh, that wasn't any leer, baby. That was the real McCoy.
2: Look, Arthur, this may sound kind of corny, but I'm in love with Dick, and he's in love with me.
4: Oh, it does. What? Sound corny. Why doesn't he marry you? You know why? Sure, that wife that won't divorce him. You know, he's been using that one for the last ten years. Please,
2: Arthur, I'd rather not talk about it.
4: Okay, okay. Not to change the subject, but, um... What do you expect to get out of it? Get out of what? The reorganization. The big day when they kick old Arthur out of the firm. You think maybe they'll make you a vice president?
2: I really don't know what you're talking about, Arthur.
4: Well, you ought to think about it. Because you can never tell, I might be able to make you an even better proposition.
2: I'm afraid I'm not interested in your propositions, Arthur. Any of them.
4: Okay, baby. Wait a minute. There'll be another day. It was mostly bluff, and she knew it. But there was one thing that she didn't know. There was a chance that my smart partners had actually been holding out on me, and if they had, the way our incorporation papers were drawn, then I could really nail them. Well, I'd been snooping through the files at night lately, and I'd already dug up a couple of things. This night, I went back at it again. I let myself in through the side door of the building and walked up the two flights to the office. Everything was dark and deserted and barely make out the long lines of desks. And then I saw the light under Sam's door. And I crossed the office very quietly and listened. Hmm, nothing. I tapped on the door. Still nothing. So I opened it. And there was Sam There was Sam, leaning back in his chair and staring at me with those cold and slightly protruding blue eyes, much the way he always did. Except uh, tonight, there was a small hole in the right side of his head, and Sam Bentley was dead. The gun was lying on the carpet where it had fallen out of his hand. It was his, all right. I recognized it. his other hand had fallen against an open drawer of the desk, and his wristwatch was broken. It had stopped at five after eight, and I picked up the phone to call the police. And then N- I noticed a letter on his desk. It was addressed to Richard Walsh. Well, I put up number the phone and looked at that letter, and then I opened it. Well, it was about what I'd figured the doctor's report on his heart, the usual all around apology, and then. A detailed explanation of how Dick Walsh could use the corporate insurance to pay off Sam's family for his share of the business and then take it over himself because Sam didn't want me to have any part of it. The signature was a little scrawly, but it was Sam's, all right. So there it was, the double cross. And yet it's funny, but almost before I got through reading it, I knew the answer. I looked at that broken wristwatch of his again. Five after eight, it said. An hour later, I was home in bed, sleeping like a baby, knowing that Dick Walsh, too, was going to die. I strolled into the office the next morning about ten, just to be on the safe side. But, of course, they'd already found him. All over the office, there were little huddles that broke up furtively at my approach. Well, I played it for what it was worth and headed for the largest and most important huddle, the executive huddle, outside of Sam's door. They were all there, including Helen Conover. And she was looking pretty sick. Well, what, uh, uh, what is all just this? Just a minute. Uh, who are you? Oh, I'm Arthur Lockwood. Oh. So what's what's all this about? Oh, uh,
3: just wait here, please, Mr. Lockwood.
4: Hey, what's going on here, anyway? Somebody robbed the till?
2: Arthur. What? Arthur, it's, it's Sam.
4: What? Oh, his heart?
2: No, hes he was shot. Shot? Arthur, the police say it's murder.
3: Will you come in, please, Mr. Lockwood? Yes, certainly. The captain would like to see you again, too, please, Miss Connor. Oh,
2: yes, all right.
4: Well, we went in. Sam was still there. But by this time, somebody had thrown a towel over his face. A big, gangling guy came across the room toward me with his hand out. Mr. Lockwood? Yes?
3: Captain Gibbons, homicide.
4: Is... Is that Sam, Sam Bentley?
3: Yes. No, it must be something of a shock to you, sir, but, uh, oh. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to
4: ask you a few questions. Oh, yes, of course. Please go right ahead.
3: Know anybody to want to kill your partner, Mr. Lockwood?
4: Are you sure it was? I mean, I mean, couldn't it have been suicide? Why would he want to kill himself? Well, uh. He's been pretty depressed lately. His health has been bad. Only yesterday he got a report from his doctor that he probably wouldn't live more than six months.
3: No. Won't hold, Mr. Lockwood. Not unless you figure that Bentley shot himself and then carried the gun into your other partner's office, Uh That's Mr. Walsh, isn't
4: it?
2: Mr. Walsh?
4: Yes. Does that surprise you?
2: Why, yes. It...
4: Do you mean that you found the gun in, in Mr. Walsh's office?
3: In the wall safe.
2: How many people
4: have the combination of that safe, Mr. Lockwood? Why, just the three of us, I think, the three partners. Uh, we each have a safe, but uh, somebody else has to have the combination, too, just in case... Uh, well, you, you know, if... Uh... Mm-hmm.
3: Did you trust your partners, Mr. Lockwood?
4: <clears throat> well, Captain, I'll be frank with you. There hasn't been a great deal of love lost between us lately, but, uh, yes, we, we trusted each other in our own way.
3: Where were you at ten after seven, Mr. Lockwood?
4: Oh, I was having dinner at the Savoy across the street.
3: You can prove that, I suppose?
4: Yes, of course. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Miss Conover here came over later and joined me. Mm-hmm.
3: I understand Miss Conover was seeing your other partner, Mr. Walshaw, on the 7.35 for Chicago. So she told me, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You're sure of the train time?
2: Yes, of course.
3: Well, it's the one Dick Walsh always takes to Chicago.
4: Well, why this interest in time? Have you set the time of the, uh of, uh, of when it happened?
3: Bentley's watch was broken. It stopped at ten after seven. Oh. oh. Uh, either of you see this before? But-
2: where, where did that come from?
3: Recognize it? Yes, of course, that's uh, that's Mr. Walsh's watch charm.
2: He keeps losing it. He loses it all the time.
3: Yeah, yes, he does. We found it in the chair
4: behind Bentley's body. Behind? Oh, now, wait a minute, Captain. You don't seriously mean to suggest that... How does it add up to you? Well, I, I mean, that, that watch charm doesn't mean anything. It's true that he did lose it all the time, but he could have lost it in here any time.
3: Not in a chair, Mr. Lockwood. It wouldn't stay there very long, not without being found. Oh,
2: Captain, there must be some mistake. There must uh, be.
3: You can go now, Miss Conover. Uh, but please. I said I... you could go now, Miss Conover. Come on, Helen. I guess that's it, Harry. I guess it is. Better call Chicago and issue a warrant. Oh. Richard Leonard Walsh, suspicion of murder. No!
0: It's... Oh! All
3: right, all right. It's
4: nothing now. She's just fainted. <laughs>
1: That is some dramatic music right there, Lisa. Well, wow, you are moly. very dramatic, so Batman. it goes along
5: with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Three Blind Mice uh, starring Van Heflin on suspense sponsored by Roma Wines. How is that Roma over oh,
5: there? I tell you good? Carl, it's the only way to is get through the, the night. Is <laughs> the uh, the
1: burgundy or what is what do you have there? It's red. Yeah. Um, yeah, she is Carl, uh, you you're pretty much uh, I have
5: to sit with you, you for 5 hours I know. on Saturday That's night. Give me a break time. here. I know.
1: Hey, you know, have at it, Lisa. Thanks, Just have at it. We have
5: got to do what you got to do. You know, by
1: the end of the show, you're kind of like, hey, T-Martini's. It makes it
5: a lot more fun around here. All
1: right, we'll be right back. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on 5 CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full 5-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. One of my heroes is a man named William F. Buckley Jr. You might remember him as the host of Firing Line on PBS. He hosted it for more than three decades. Anyway, Buckley got his start As founder of the magazine National Review back in 1955, even back then we had problems with sensationalistic sloppy journalism, and he thought Americans deserved a serious conservative voice in the public square. National Review was the answer to that problem, and they are continuing that legacy today.
5: We're proud to be partnering with National Review here at Hollywood 360. More than 65 years later, they are still committed to producing serious journalism from a conservative perspective. If you're looking for a serious news source grounded in America's founding principles... We have a special offer for Hollywood 360 listeners. Whether you
1: like to read online or prefer a good magazine in your hands, you can start reading today by going to nationalreview.com slash Hollywood. That's nationalreview.com slash Hollywood. And you get 60, 60, Lisa, 60% off any subscription. Go to nationalreview.com slash Hollywood for your 60% off. All right, we're listening to Suspect. Van Heflin starring in a tale well-calculated to keep you in suspense entitled Three Blind Mice, sponsored by Roma Wines, uh, heard on the CBS network. Here's the conclusion.
3: For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Van Heflin in Three Blind Mice. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. The defendant will rise and face the court. (coughs) Does uh, the defendant wish to make a statement before sentence is passed? If not, we will proceed. Richard Leonard Walsh, having been tried and found guilty of the murder of Samuel Bentley in the first degree, you are hereby remanded to the custody of the warden of the state penitentiary. Where at such time as the state shall deem appropriate, you will be executed in the manner prescribed by law.
4: It's a nice, easy way of getting along in the publishing business. If you're lucky, one of your partners commits suicide. You rig the evidence to frame the other partner for his murder. Net result? A new firm, Arthur Lockwood Incorporated. Arthur Lockwood being me. Of course, there were the usual appeals and the thing dragged on, but that didn't worry me. I had other things to think about And number one on that list was Helen Conover. But there, I'll admit, I was surprised because Dick knew that he'd been framed and must have suspected me and Helen was supposed to be in love with Dick. Well, I played it very carefully, the paternal approach, the sorrowing friend, dinner and the theater and stuff like that. But never a word, never a wrong word or gesture. And then one night, about a week before Dick Walsh was scheduled to be executed, I just brought Helen home from a sedate little tour of some of our most upper crust hot boxes. And we were at her apartment.
2: It was a swell evening, Arthur? You've been awfully sweet to me.
4: Well, it's the least I can do, Helen.
2: No, oh, you mustn't feel that way, Arthur. What way? That you that you sort of owe me something. Owe
4: oh, you something? Well, why should I? It's just that I I know how you feel. So and I wonder if you do. Well, yes, I think so. You've been awfully brave about it, but I I think I know.
2: Arthur, once you said that something I said was corny. You remember?
4: Yes, I remember.
2: Well, it was. It wasn't even true.
4: You weren't... You weren't in love with him?
2: I'm afraid I'm a pretty heartless little girl, Arthur. I'm afraid I love myself too much to be really in love with anybody.
4: Well, that's not heartless. That's just honest.
2: You know that to be executed next week, don't you? Yes. Then he's not much good to me now, is he? Even if he did want to marry me.
4: Oh.
2: Now you know I'm heartless and cold-blooded and cruel.
4: I ought to. But I don't.
2: No. No. I don't have to be that way. I can be other ways.
4: What other ways?
2: Like this. Ellen.
4: that was that. I didn't care about anything after that, even marriage. We made a quick trip down to Virginia where names in the publishing business wouldn't mean a thing, even ours. And it was all very quiet. No publicity, no fuss, nothing. When we got back, we took a little place in the East 50s, although, of course, she kept her apartment, I kept mine. It had to be that way for a while, at least until after Dick's execution and the things had cooled down a bit. Well, I knocked off early at the office that day for the looks of the thing. And Helen was already home when I got there. Oh,
2: you're home early, aren't you, darling? Any particular reason?
4: No, no, no particular reason.
2: Penny for your thoughts, darling.
4: My thoughts? Oh, nothing special. I guess I was just thinking, I don't know. Bet I know. What?
2: You were thinking about Dick. That he's going to die tonight.
4: Well, maybe I was, I don't know.
2: Well, I'm glad you did come home anyway, darling, because I wanted to have a little talk with you.
4: Sure, Sure, about what?
2: You really shouldn't let it bother you, you know.
4: Let what bother me?
2: The execution.
4: Why should it bother me? He killed a man, didn't he? Why should I worry about what the law does to him?
2: Are you so sure, Arthur?
4: So sure of what?
2: So sure that he did kill a man.
4: Well, right then it hit me that all the time I'd been thinking how slick everything was, something was wrong, terribly wrong. But all this time, she'd been playing with me like a smart young cat with a silly, blind old mouse. Three mice, and one of them dead, and another with them as good as dead, and I was left.
2: All the evidence and everything. Wasn't like Dick to do a thing like that.
4: Uh, You don't think he killed him?
2: Arthur, do you remember, oh, it was a long time ago, you asked me what I expected to get out of it? If Sam and Dick squeezed you out of the firm...
4: Yeah, I remember.
2: And you said you might have a better proposition? Yeah. No. Well, I've decided what I want.
4: Well, sure. You really want to be a vice president. We can fix that easy enough, although I, I sort of had the idea that you'd be pulling out after a while now that we're married.
2: <laughs> oh, Arthur. You're priceless. <laughs> No, I'm afraid a vice presidency isn't at all what I have in mind. And I don't know where you got the idea that I'd be pulling out of the firm, ever.
4: All right. What do you want?
2: I want a full partnership, Arthur.
4: A partnership?
2: Yes. Is that so strange?
4: Well, we are partners now, in a way, or my wife.
2: No. I mean a real partnership. A corporate partnership.
4: Look, Helen, you're asking me out of a clear sky to give you a half a share in a million-dollar business. Yes. Well, I that'll take some thinking about.
2: Yes, I suppose it will. I am saying, it was strange about that evidence. For, for instance, there was the letter. What letter? The letter that was on Sam's desk when he killed himself. It disappeared.
4: You must be crazy.
2: Am I? Uh, What about the wristwatch? When he died, it said five after eight. But when they found him, it said ten after seven. And the gun. It was lying on the carpet by his hand, but somehow it got into Dick's wall safe.
4: You knew all that, and you let an innocent man go to the chair?
0: Oh,
2: really? Oh, Arthur, you are priceless. I let an innocent man go to the chair?
4: You know, of course, that a wife can't testify against her husband.
2: Oh, no. No, a wife can't be forced to testify against her husband, but she can if her conscience. uh... All right. What do you want? I thought I'd mentioned it. The partnership. I see. Now you're not going to be unreasonable about it, are you, darling?
4: No, Helen. I'm not going to be unreasonable
2: darling i was thinking we ought to rearrange
4: the office space she'd even turned her back on where me now she was gazing say. out of the window dreaming at the future her future just the way she I planned it. it i couldn't guess how she knew she must have been hiding somewhere and seen me but that didn't matter much now i only knew that i was right back where i'd started from the business slipping out of my hands and someday no business and no helen i had to think fast and act fast there was a bronze statuette on the end table. I picked it up and hefted it. It was just about right. So I stepped over behind of course, her.
2: The officers then will be just exactly the same, except for that. Darling, you won't mind that, will you? Dar- uh.
4: I hit her hard, but not too hard, because this was one suicide that was going to come off right. I carried her out to the kitchen and propped her up in a chair in front of the kitchen table. And then I went into the bathroom and got some towels. That wouldn't leave any marks. And I tied her hands and feet and gagged her. So that even if she did come to in a few minutes, it wouldn't matter. All I had to do was come back in a couple of hours and put the towels away and make everything look just as natural as I could. It was a risk those two hours and I knew it. The whole thing was a risk. But it was the best I could do. I looked at her once more before I left. She hadn't moved a muscle. And then I turned on the gas. By the time I got back to my apartment, I was shaking all over. This time, I had really killed somebody. But why would anybody connect me with it, I told myself? Why would anybody think it was anything but suicide? She had the motive this day of all days. Everybody knew that she was in love with Walsh. And even if her marriage to me came out... The motive would still hold. And then the, the doorbell rang and I jumped foot. At first I wasn't going to answer, and then I, I thought I'd better. Whoever it was would establish that I was here at home and that I could brush them off before I had to leave. Hello, Mr. Lockwood. Busy? Why, uh, no, uh, Captain Gibbons. No, no. Come right in. Thanks. Right in here. please. Have a seat. Uh-huh. A uh, cigar? Thanks. Mm, pretty
3: good cigar you must be doing pretty well for yourself nowadays <laughs> Uh, you better let me light it myself you uh, seem kind of nervous well you know how it is I mean um, today the oh uh, you mean your partner Walsh going to the hot seat I try not to think about it but uh, well it, it, yeah he'll be sitting down there pretty soon now pretty soon they say it doesn't hurt but I don't know Do you ever see one?
4: Look, do we have to talk about it? Makes
3: you feel kind of bad, eh? I wouldn't wonder. Why did you do it, Lockwood? Do what? Frame him. I... I don't know what you're talking about. Sure you do. You changed the time, stashed the gun, tore up the suicide note. In fact, as I was saying... You framed him.
4: No, Walsh killed him. You, you know he did. He was
3: convicted of killing him. All the evidence was that he killed him. Oh, sure. Walsh killed him, all right. What? Walsh killed him. He told us he did. Just today. But it was... Uh, uh, Say, look, what is this? Walsh killed him and framed it to look like suicide. Then you came along and pinned it back on Walsh where it belonged in the first place. He gave us a full confession just this afternoon. Then, uh... You... So, I don't know whether we ought to thank you for making it easy for us or try to pin a rap on you. <laughs> but the D.A.'s willing to let it go, so it's all right with me. He uh, wants a statement, though.
4: Oh, sure. Sure, anything. Anything you say. Uh,
3: by the way, uh, what about that dame?
4: <gasps> what? What dame?
3: Well, the one in your office that was supposed to be sweet on Walsh. We want her the worst way. You... Why? accessory to murder.
4: She was in it up to her
3: ears. Yeah,
4: so that was it. Spilled That's thing. how she'd known, and I'd taken my life in my hand for nothing. She, she was up there dying right now. I was murdering her. her while Gibbons sat he there, risking my to life to do something the that the law would have done for me. Maybe it still wasn't too yeah. late, but Gibbons just I sat there talking and talking and
3: talking. Well, you, were. You just go down there to the DA's office and give him that statement, eh? Sure, sure. T- uh, tomorrow, the very first thing. You know, uh, you sure are a heel, Lockwood. But you're a lucky heel.
4: It was ten blocks away. I didn't dare take a cab. I didn't dare even run for fear that somebody would see me and remember in case it was too late. And by the time I got there, I was gasping for breath as so, so I'd run every step as I let myself in the smell of gas hit me just like a brick wall I put my handkerchief over my face and rushed into the kitchen I threw open the window and shut off the gas she was sitting there just as I left her Well, I got her up on the table and I I dragged it over toward the window I got the gag out of her mouth and I began working her arms artificial respiration, I knew that much I worked over her by that window until the sweat was running down my face but I couldn't tell, I, I couldn't tell yet The towels that I tied her feet with were still there, but I I didn't bother with them or anything else. I just kept working over, up and down, up and down, as though, yes, as though my life depended on it. It did.
3: I'm afraid you're too late, Lockwood. I'm afraid your wife is dead.
4: He was a smart cop, that Gibbons. He knew a lot. He says now he's pretty sure it doesn't hurt. The electric chair, I mean. Well, tonight I'm going to find out.
0: Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R O M A. Roma, America's Favorite Wines. Well, this is Ken Niles bringing back to our microphone the distinguished star of tonight's suspense play, Van Heflin. Van, you played the part of a publisher tonight. How about publishing a few tips on Roma Wines? Well, with wine like Roma, Ken, all you need to do is publish the facts. Well, uh, fact number one is that Roma, America's greatest vintner, has asked me to present you with this basket of Roma Wines for your wonderful performance tonight. Well, that's a very good beginning, Ken. My, my thanks to you and to Roma. Uh, fact number two, Van, is that your friends will enjoy the Roma California Sherry in your gift basket a golden amber fragrant Roma Sherry with tempting nut-like taste is the perfect first call to dinner. The ideal wine for entertaining any time. Right, Ken. But tell the people why Roma Sherry is so good. Give them the facts, my boy. The facts. All Right you are, Professor Heflin. Fact number three. Roma Sherry, like all Roma wines, begins with California's choicest grapes. Then Roma vintners with America's finest wine-making resources guide these select grapes unhurriedly to tempting taste perfection and place them with Roma wines of years before. Later, Roma selects from this vast taste treasure the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. Ken, you're hired. Thank you,
3: and good night. Van Heflin may currently be seen in Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Technicolor musical Till the Clouds Roll By with Van Johnson, Judy Garland, and Frank Sinatra. Tonight's suspense play was written by Kenneth Pettis and Robert Richards. Next Thursday, same
0: time, you will hear Mr. Glenn Ford as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: There was a great integrated commercial there at the end for Roma wines. You know, like talking to Van Heflin. Yep. We've got a basket for you with some Roma sherry in it, and it has uh, grapes that are un- choice grapes. Unhurriedly.
5: Hurriedly.
1: Yeah, there's a word you don't hear. Unhurriedly.
5: Unhurried.
1: Uh, hurriedly. No,
5: you can't even <laughs> What's say the it? word? Unhurriedly.
1: Oh my god. Like gosh. they're not
5: in a rush when, yeah, it's they, very when they process unhurriedly. the grapes. Unhurriedly. Yeah,
1: unhurriedly. <laughs> <laughs> what is <laughs> the word?
5: You Un- know like hurry, hurry. like hurry it- but unhurriedly. Ly.
1: Uh, I would have never if I would have been Ken Niles, the announcer. I'd been like, have been. "Can we change this copy?" Like in the rehearsal, <laughs> You'd be I'd be like, "Pain
5: in the you I'd know like, what?" Can you,
1: I don't, I can't read. This is doesn't make sense. Can't you just say we take our time with the grapes? Right. So you know, well, we that don't.
5: would be Parmesan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but you know, you are a big Roma wines fan. You bring sure. it every single week here. You right? got like two gallons. Usually drink one and a half gallons. She does share some of it with me and Mike. What do you? You must love Roma wines. I mean, you, you know can afford it has to that buy,
5: it has that nutty nut, that n- nutty n- taste.
1: I mean, you can afford to to drink any kind of wine, right. so you you but, have it. Um,
5: this is with the finest grapes. So. so
1: where do they even sell Roma wines? You get it directly from uh, not
5: from Trader Joe's. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
5: have uh, to go to special places.
1: Yeah, Van Heflin there in Three Blind Mice, January thirtieth, nineteen forty-seven. Sponsored by Roma Wines, And you heard the quality there of the uh, suspense show. That was directly from the master recordings that we get from CBS. Um, You know, we license all of these shows from the uh, rights holders, uh, Abbott Costello Estate, Jack Benny Estate, and we offer them 10 shows every single month in the classic radio club. You can get five CDs sent right to your home every 30 days. And there's a booklet. That is detailed about all the shows in there. So it's like a whole, it's a whole presentation. It's a case with five CDs, 10 shows, the booklet. And that's what you get when you're a Classic Radio Club member. And we have a phone call, uh, a phone number Number. (laughs) that you can call. There we go. And if you want to sign up for the Classic Radio Club, it's pretty amazing. We send you the first CD set for only a dollar, $1 plus shipping and handling. And if you like it, and you don't cancel every month, you will get another one. That's nineteen ninety eight for plus shipping and handling. But you're getting five CDs in a case with a booklet. So if you would like to sign up for the club, and you want to talk to either Lisa or I tonight, you can call our number. 815-900-7535. We may not answer, but we'll call you back when uh, the classic radio shows are playing. We'll call you back and take your information, sign you up to the club. 815-900-7535. Once again, 815-900-7535. You just signed somebody yeah, up a few minutes Yeah, we've been busy ago.
5: talking to our listeners, yeah. and it's really nice to communicate and have a... Um, just sort of a nice conversation with our listener friends out yeah. there so give us a call and we'd love to help you out.
1: Yeah, there's lots and lots of people that are on the uh, the Classic Radio Club so if you want to join call you call tonight 815-900-7535. Time for this month in music history. And
5: we are going back to the 1990s tonight. Here's your first song.
4: We're a moment spent
5: You look confused. Yeah, What's who the problem? Is this, again? this is Aerosmith. Oh, Aerosmith. 1998. Yeah, yeah from the Aerosmith. film Armageddon.
1: I love Aerosmith.
5: Right, great song. Yeah. I don't know. It's very catchy. It's
1: a great song. He's yeah. he's one of the greatest singers of all time, Steven Tyler. Yeah. Yep. He's he's probably better than me.
5: I don't know. Carl, a toss yeah, I think he might be. No.
1: I would have to say he's got it over me. Not by much. But Maybe
5: someday you'll be able to tour with him.
1: Yeah, I so, hope so. Who knows. All right, thanks, Lisa. Sure. More of yeah. Hollywood 360 after this.
0: More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic
1: radio on Hollywood 360. Don't forget visit pastorbox.com use code I love my pastor for $25 off each quarterly shipment. All right, in our next hour, Vincent Price pays a visit to Duffy's Tavern from 1951. Well, We're also going to play Beat the Host, right, Lisa?
5: That's right. Dr. Seuss, born March 2nd, 1904. Give us a call, 312-642-5600. Looking for caller number nine to be on
1: the air? Play the game. Can uh, Dr. Seuss get rid of my headache?
5: Uh, I doubt it.